I think inviting a receptive spirit that this might be trying to tell me something and what do I have to learn here? What story is this dream telling me? Um, It might be that I need to get a colonoscopy. It might also just be that, you know, that my stomach was hurting from eating too much last night and now my stomach hurts and my dream is saying my stomach hurts, you know, (laughs) but you got to go through that and understand it all. I'm Gabriella Tavacoli-Bailey, and I've worked in unscripted television as an executive producer and TV executive doing what I love most, storytelling. I'm an extremely curious person, and I decided to do this podcast so I can dig in and learn about fascinating people living extraordinary lives. And I called up my very talented friend, Aurelie Minazad, who is a writer and journalist, and together we are going to learn about people's journeys and provide you with a fun listen and a good time. Welcome to Tell Us Something We Don't Know. Our dreams can be wild, right? Ever wonder if there's some deeper meaning behind them? And what about reoccurring dreams? Our guest today is Dr. Helen Marlowe, and she's here to break down dreams as well as understand precognitive dreams. Dr. Marlowe is a clinical psychologist, Jungian psychoanalyst, and dean of the School of Psychology at Notre Dame de Namur University. She's also the co-author of the book, The Spiritual Psyche and Psychotherapy. Welcome, Dr. Marlowe. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your interest. Thank you for being here. Yes. I think so many people are fascinated, including me and Orly, about dreams. I mean, like there's a part of me that's like, what do my dreams mean? And is it telling me something? And then there's a part of me that's like, I really hope it's not telling me anything because <laughs> they could be a little bit crazy. So let's start with precognitive dreams. What does that mean? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I think that you're interested is is really a great sign in terms of an openness to other ways of knowing. So in terms of precognitive dreams, people are met with a lot of resistance with that because it doesn't often make rational sense. This idea that a precognitive dream is something that happens before we actually know it's going to happen. Having practiced and taught for over 30 years now, I can attest that those things happen and it's not infrequently and it's not by people that have something wrong with them or that are crazy, uh, to use a colloquial term. (laughs) Right. So Mark Ruffalo, who's an actor, because, you know, we've been researching about, you know, everything and everything about dreams for your episode. And so we learned that Mark Ruffalo, he had a dream that he had a brain tumor Mm -hmm. And he said he woke up from this dream and it was like everything in his body knew that that was a fact, that he had a brain tumor. So he went to the doctor. He said, I'm sure they thought I was crazy because there's no reason why I would think this. But because my dream was so clear, I had to go and get it checked out. He went and got it checked out and he did, in fact, have a brain tumor. So that's bananas to me. And that's why I said earlier that I'm almost scared because how can you differentiate? How would we know? And like you said, like not be a crazy person and just to run with all of our dreams. You're asking a really great question. You know, ultimately, the good news and the bad news is it's ultimately unknowable. But there are steps that we can take to know better and to discriminate better. Precognitive dreams is just one subset of dreams. 
there are dreams that reflect our current situation. There are dreams that reflect our future. There are dreams that reflect what happened in the past. So you have to hold the past, present, future, and you have to look at both the personal dimension, the cultural dimension, and then you know, uh, I think that there's an extrasensory, a transpersonal, a spiritual dimension that can be a, a part of the dream. So to engage with another in a dream is a careful process. You know, a lot of times people don't look at all the levels of complexity and they either go, oh, everything in a dream means, you know, if you dream something, it's a power of yourself. That's just one narrow lens. Sometimes that's true. Or if you dream something, it's going to happen. Those are just partial lenses and you have to understand one of the things I say about dreams is that there's a language to dreams. Dreams have their own language. And so you have, just like any other foreign language, you have to get to know the foreign language. You have to know what all of it means, what the different words means and how, how you use it. I had a patient that woke up on her mother's birthday and she had this dream that she was in a hospital room and she was arguing with doctors and nurses and that she needed some kind of procedure. And in the hospital room, they're making her out to be this difficult patient and just, just listen to us and just, you know, listen to our orders. And at the end of the dream, she's sitting in a wheelchair and she's cradling a deformed baby. Okay. She woke up and the first thought she had when she woke up was I need to schedule my colonoscopy. I think something is wrong. So she scheduled her colonoscopy and she went in and uh, she had been trying to get pregnant. She had a urine test and um, the doctor had said, you know, I'm sorry, um, we're not going to be able to do the procedure today because you don't have a blood test confirming that you're not pregnant. I'm not pregnant. I'm not pregnant. And she had done all the cleansing and all the prep work, you know, all that gross stuff you have to do for a colonoscopy. And she's like, there's no way. Her dream starts coming into her mind about arguing with the doctors and the nurses. And she's like, I really feel like I need to have this. And they said to her, you're so young. There's no chance you have anything going on. So then the colon nurse specialist comes in and she asks the colon nurse specialist, what happens if I'm pregnant and I have cancer? If I delay this with, with being pregnant, the cancer will grow even quicker. And the nurse is like, well, that's a good point, but you're so young. I don't think you really need this. Come back after you have your baby. And she's listening and she's holding this dream in her mind. And so she finally says to the doctor, I know the bind you're in. What if I just do this colonoscopy, but do it with self-hypnosis? So the doctor says, well, that's your choice. If you know, I don't have to use drugs. Okay. So she goes ahead and she does, she elects to do it without drugs. And she's just using self-hypnosis. And the doctor comes out of the procedure. What does the doctor find in this early 30s-year-old woman? A precancerous polyp that had, had it been left to stay and she had gotten pregnant, then she would have been most likely pregnant with colon cancer. Oh my gosh. Wow. So you think of the dream, she's arguing with the doctors and the nurses, and at the end of the dream, she's cradling a deformed baby. In her mind, that's what would have happened had she not gone and listened and insisted and said, no, let me get this procedure done before I get pregnant. 
So I guess the question, though, is that is it because she woke up from her dream and there was something so strong in her gut that said, go and check this out. And that's what you need to listen to. But I always say you have to hold the whole gamut in the differentiation process. And this is something that any of you can do. Anybody can do. They don't have to be in therapy. It really helps when you have someone that's trained in this because it's like knowing the language to use that metaphor again. There's certain things that you know from knowing the language really well that you're more attuned to that someone else might gloss over. It's also true that no matter how many dreams I've helped others with, I need someone to help me with my own dreams. You know, I can do a lot on my own, but there's a magic that occurs in that interpersonal process. You know, you, you both are big storytellers. When we know our own story, there's things that we don't always catch, whereas somebody else can say, wait a minute, I just noticed this or that or this. Um, and that helps us flesh out another part of the story. And that's how dream work often works. So I would encourage the person to, first of all, write the dream down. Um, I always encourage people to keep it written or to speak it into your iPhone nowadays, but to have the exact dream because sometimes the devil's in the detail. Um, my patients always laugh because, you know, when they start telling me a dream, they're like, she's going to whip out her notebook and start writing it down. <laughs> it's amazing though, that if you start to unpack those things and you treat it, and, and I think it has a lot of resonance with your mission here on your podcast, it's a story that the person is telling you and each part of the story matters. So I'll start to unpack it line by line. So the person will tell me the dream. And then I might say, when did you have this dream and what was happening and establish that context? I then always will say, tell me the dominant feeling tone of the dream. And that um, often is very illuminating. So if someone says, you know, I had this dream about needing this medical procedure, but I was really calm and and I was not afraid, that's going to be different than I was really freaked out. So I ask for the general feeling tone of the dream. And then I go through and I'll say, is there any parts of the dream where the feeling shifted or another feeling stayed with you? Make careful note of all that. And then I'll go line by line and with each part of the dream, and we begin to get people's associations to the dream. So tell me about the fact that you had this dream on your mother's birthday. What comes up for you around that? For my patient, it was, I have to be more proactive about my health and I have to mother myself in a way that I wasn't. Okay. Interesting. So there's some psychological piece there, right? That may or may not be a precognitive thing. Okay. So, so you start to flesh those things out. Tell me about this. Um, what comes to your mind that the setting of the dream, what comes to your mind of arguing with the doctors, what comes to your mind of arguing with the nurse? Give me the associations, the memories, images, thoughts, fantasies about each item. Out of all that, you begin to flesh out what's personal, what's interpersonal, what's intrapsychic, what's something I feel about myself versus something in relation with another, what might be cultural, what might be social, and then what might be other then. And that might be that transpersonal spiritual dimension where a lot of times people will say, I don't have anything personally related to that. It's a blank space. That may mean it's about something that's not so personal and it's not just solely an anxiety. 
it's a little like an x-ray, but it's not nearly as definitive. So you begin to kind of get that. And out of that, you come up with a kind of different levels of meanings and formulations that then people can check out. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Like, for example, if I had that dream, I would have woken up and be like, well, that was a fucking weird dream. And I would have completely moved on. Right. Right. But how do you decide which dream is going to like have some sort of significance? How do you distinguish between the dream that could really help you if you really flesh it out, if you really analyze it to the dream where you're just like, you know, you're, you're just going crazy for one night or, you know, maybe you <laughs> smoke something. I don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, right, right. We don't know which ones really are and which aren't, but they can be quite powerful. So to be able to go, oh, that was just a weird dream. What did I, what did I do last night? I think getting past that first defense or that dismissiveness, realizing its value, most people don't realize the value. And so like when synchronicities and precognitive things happen, people will often say, how come those things happen to you so much? You know, like, Well, I don't really know that it happens to me or others more. There's some evidence that that might be true, but it's also true that it's a kind of awareness and a kind of engagement with consciousness and working with that mind that'll dismiss what we don't know, that'll dismiss the irrational, that will dismiss what doesn't add up, that's able to minimize those things just because we don't understand it. There's a great quote about never do people have more opinions and judgments about things than on what they don't understand. (laughs) And so (laughs) that's from Carl Jung. So um, um, I'm paraphrasing, but I think inviting a receptive spirit that this might be trying to tell me something and what do I have to learn here? What story is this dream telling me? Um, It might be that I need to get a colonoscopy. It might also just be that, you know, that my stomach was hurting from eating too much last night and now my stomach hurts and my dream is saying my stomach hurts you right. know yeah, yeah. so but you got to go through that and understand it all so. but it almost sounds really supernatural how does your brain even do that i know what you mean i i think that's one reason why we don't hear about this so much and i was so pleased that you wanted to bring me on because i think people poo poo that is woo woo and unscientific and not empirically validated even though I can tell you from three decades plus of working with people, these things happen and they're quite real. So they're very empirical, but they often don't happen at a frequency and with a certitude that will satisfy skeptic minds (laughs) or minds that don't understand things, right? Yeah. I think for me, so I've talked about it in other episodes of our podcast where I have a fear of death, meaning I have a fear of my loved ones dying. So what happens for me, unfortunately, is every few weeks I'll have like a nightmare of somebody that is super close to me dying. And then unlike Orly, 
who says that she wakes up, she's like, what the fuck was that dream? I wake up (laughs) bawling my eyes out, like in a fetal position, like so sad and like, oh God. God, Every few weeks, I know, right? Like to live. Actually, you know what's interesting? I'm pregnant and I'm going to have a baby next month. And so I haven't really had these dreams since I have been pregnant, which is interesting. Anyway, but what I have attributed these nightmares to is essentially like they're attached to my fears. And so that's what I've been telling myself of why they're happening because that's the only way I can move past it and think, okay, that doesn't mean someone, you know, this person's going to die. But I do think what you're saying does make sense in terms of journaling, writing things down, understanding your feelings and your emotions, even outside of dreams, I think is important. So would you say that I'm doing a good job of justifying (laughs) it? Or are you telling me something horrible is around the corner? (laughs) I think you're doing an excellent job. Thank you very much. (laughs) I I think your formulation is also um, reminding me of an important distinction that I left out. And that's I think with dream work, um, you know, you're always working with a few levels. There's a literal and a concrete level, and then there's a symbolic level. And oftentimes when we, any of us are anxious, we're going to get really concrete. And so if I have a dream about death, it means that I'm, you know, this loved one's going to die versus what is it symbolizing? What's the metaphor here? If you're fearful of death, uh, we could certainly unpack that one. And how much that also speaks to a way we approach life, right? And a desire to live fully, for example. Um, I have patients that I've worked with who describe things very similar to what you're describing, um, including patients where death was a prominent part of their life growing up, um, given their family's work for a living, as well as some personal losses. One of the things around when death shows up as it does in, say, that person's dream is to understand what are all the symbolic dimensions of death coming up now and can you differentiate that from the concrete, right? I don't know if that's helpful to hear, but... Well, I think for Gabriella, if those dreams were literal, everybody she knows would be dead by now. (laughs) Right, right. If you're having them every week, there would be nobody left. Right. Oh, God. I think the only time that I've had that I actually remember a dream from like years ago is when there was a death in the family. But always that dead person has come back to say that they're okay. So I don't know if that's me, like, again, convincing myself because I'm not really a big believer in like afterlife or anything like that. So I don't even know why I I wasn't like worried about them. I'm like, you're fine because... You're not here or whatever. Uh-huh. But I wonder if you think that like people who have passed away can communicate with you. I actually, I, I do believe that. Yeah, yeah, I do. And it can sound really woo-woo and out there. Yeah. I can tell you, you know, I tend to be a pretty pragmatic, down-to-earth person. And that's one of the things that has always drawn me to this world. Um, I can maybe share a little bit more about that. But I, yeah. but I can't deny that that has been true for people. And even okay. a lot of there's some empirical literature that exists that suggests that, but certainly clinically I have, and then certainly in synchronicities that have happened, there's a lot of evidence that says, yeah, that that could be, and we don't entirely know. 
In the language of dreams piece that you wrote and, and how you're saying that there's a language to dreams, you also mention in terms of some precognitive examples that Albert Einstein's theory of relativity came to him in a dream. Paul McCartney composed the melody for yesterday in a dream. Keith Richards attributed, I can't get no satisfaction to a dream. And then Jack Nicholas, the, the golfer, he corrected his golf swing through identifying a problem in his dream. So talk to us a little bit about as you kind of dug into the depths of those examples. I think for me, you know, it is so easy to go, oh, that dream meant nothing, or I'm overdoing it, or I'm overanalyzing that. But I think the individual who actually discovered the acetylcholine, which is the neurotransmitter we need for dreaming, he actually came up with that through a dream. You know, how, how interesting is that? Right. So I think for me, hearing that helped with one of the things you mentioned orally is like that human tendency to just go, that was just so strange. Forget it. That didn't mean anything. I mean, that's just so human for, for all of us. And so to be able to hear about these amazing things that happen as a result of dreams, for me, it just further affirmed their power and their significance and their influence. Um, there's a, a Talmudic expression that says an unremembered dream is like an unopened letter. And so I think there's some truth to that of there's a rich source of aid in our life. Is there a way to be able to remember them better? Great question. Yeah. Looking at all the levels from the concrete and the physical to beyond, you know, certainly like if people are not getting good sleep, that's the first basic thing of, of trying to work and improve sleep because then that impacts your ability to dream. And that has to do, you know, lifestyle things, sleep and good food and exercise and all that good stuff. In addition, I think countering that mindset that my dream doesn't mean anything or if I don't understand it um, or I'll never understand it. So I remember being able to start with an intentionality that I'm going to remember my dream or even asking for a certain dream and setting that intention before you go to bed. Beyond that, too. I think it's really important if people begin to start noticing their daydreams. So notice your daydreams. Those are just as important as your night dreams. And so if you notice where your daydreams go during the day, begin to jot those down. Begin to start playing with them. Do your own discovery and engagement with them. See if it becomes meaningful to you at all. Um, If you start keeping track of your daydreams, it begins to affirm that this level that's always operating in all of us in the background, maybe trying to tell us something. Um, And so that can be an exercise that people will then begin to um, remember their night dreams, actually. Daydreams like if you take a nap or daydreams like when you're just uh, looking off into the distance. (laughs) When you're zoning out. (laughs) So when you're like in, you know, in line at the DMV and your mind wanders, that's what you mean. That's exactly where, where does I mean. your brain go? Okay. okay. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Okay. Notice those things and see what am I thinking about that? You know, one thing is like start noticing the contents of the mind. So notice an image, notice a thought, notice a memory, notice a recollection, notice a fantasy, a story, that, uh, notice a sensation in your body. Those are all what I call the contents of the mind. And then those things can spring up when we're in a boring meeting or we're, like you said, at the DMV or waiting right. in line at Starbucks. 
It's like, why am I thinking about Aunt Matilda? Um, you know. Well, you know what's so interesting though is yeah. I think that something that I hate about myself and a habit that I'm trying to stop is that if I am in line at Starbucks or at the DMV, what I do is actually just go on my phone, look at my emails, go That's on Instagram, habit. you know. And I think that that is so bad. You know, because it's like, why can't I just daydream or just, you know, observe my surroundings? Why do I have to look down at this because silly phone of you know? Gabriella? What surroundings? Are but, you gonna, but anyway, I get you're there. <laughs> thanks for making me feel better, Orly. But I Everybody do think, does that. like, but but that's an interesting thought, right? Is like actually another reason to not be on our phones is to allow yourself to let your mind wander and then be be aware of what are those thoughts and like you're saying, um, Doctor Marlowe, of connecting them and whatnot. So I think that's like a, a, that's a pretty good tip. What about dreams that, you know, there's a whole reason why there's like dream analysis, dream dictionaries, all that kind of stuff, right? There are certain dreams that people have that you could talk to with others. You're like, yeah, I've I've had that dream, my teeth falling out. Oh, yeah, right. I've had that dream. I'm trying to go somewhere and I can't find my shoes. Oh, I've had both of those. Right. That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I've had one reoccurring dream, which is and I've talked to other people about this and it's that it's my last day of college and I realized that I didn't study for a final and I'm like, am I going to graduate? And I've heard talked, you know, so many people say they've also had this dream. So what about right. those kind of like... Like the common dream yeah. sort of. Right, right. It's interesting to me that you're even naming that in light of talking about, you know, social media and going on our phones. Because I think that's one of the things that, you know, we're starting to see in the research and the literature too is the impact it has on our capacity to imagine. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see if it has an impact on our dream lives as well. So what I would say is that just like going onto our phones can give us an answer and these dream dictionaries can give us an answer that if my teeth are falling out, it means that, you know, I'm afraid I'm dying or if I fail college, it's, you know, I, I, I miss this class. It means that, you know, I've got fear of failure. You know, there's a lot of good formulaic things that are fitting but you always have to filter it through the personal and through beyond the personal for that person. So the, the personal, the communal, the social, the spiritual for that person. So I, I think those things can be really good when people say, I have no idea why I would dream that. I use, you know, I have five or six dream symbol dictionaries right here in my, on my bookshelf right now. I can think of an example of a patient I was working with that had dreams about spiders Mm -hmm. um, and so being able to look at the objective meaning of spiders and the collective and the cultural meanings of spiders, I always use those things to amplify and to add to someone's understanding. But it's never, it doesn't supersede what comes from them first, you know, so it's not imposed on them, if that gotcha. makes sense. But why do we all have these common dreams? I guess, ah, why yeah. is there a dream dictionary in the first place that's breaking down spiders? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Got it. Got it. Great question. So one of the things that I would say, and this is one reason why I trained in this area, um, is Jung always talked about the existence of the archetypes. And so the, an archetype is the potential to represent any common human experience. Okay. 
We know that there's certain things that are universals, like failure, like loss, like sadness, like birth, like death, like rejection, betrayal. You know, those are the things that happen to all of us who are human. And they often become the stuff of the great bestsellers, the bestselling books, bestselling movies. They usually have a very strong archetypal component. And you gravitate towards that because you're a human being and you, and we have these powerful experiences and we're all just vulnerable human beings bumbling in this world trying to do the best we can. <laughs> and we get hit by these things um, that then get filtered through our own personal lens. And so by the experience of being human, we're going to be hit by these things. And they tend to be things that stir our minds, stir our hearts, and can then echo with our personal story and our, our community story. So we all have those because we all know what it feels like to feel vulnerable. But maybe when I'm vulnerable, I move away from people. And maybe, Gabriella, when you're vulnerable, you move towards people. And maybe, orally, you just move with people. Um, those would be three different styles of what happens when that archetype moves through you versus me versus you, you know? <laughs> Does that answer it? It does. And then also because you talked about cultural stuff also, I think like you know, for Gabriella and I, like Persians have special interpretations of like there's a whole nother dream dictionary if you're this person culturally and if you're that person culturally. It feels like you have to bring your own personal input into it as well, because like even going to like a dream dictionary, OK, you can get the gist of it. But then you have to talk about, like you said before, you know, what's your environment, what what have you been thinking about? What are your daydreams been? What What is it that you are trying to manifest in these dreams? Right. Well said. Which I think requires a doctor or professional <laughs> because there's no way I would get to the bottom of any of it. It's really powerful work. And I would say one problem is that when people know the dream dictionary and does Dr. Google, then they come in and they tell me, I've got this, this, and this. And it's like, wait, who's no. telling you yeah. that? You know? Um, and so I sometimes wish that people wouldn't consult it first. Yeah. And because then it sometimes prevents their own mind from going where it needs to go. And so a lot of times right. I'll say, okay, put that down. Let's just both ground ourselves for a moment. Let's just be quiet for a moment and tell me what emerged within you after you read the stream to me. Don't filter it at all. Just tell me what emerged, even if it makes no sense to you. Do you hypnotize people? I'm sorry if that's an ignorant question, but this is what I know from TV. <laughs> no, it's not ignorant yeah. at all. Um, it's not ignorant at all. Um, I actually do have training in hypnosis, and okay. I don't use it so much with my long-term patients. Hypnosis is one of many ways of working with consciousness. And so I think that working with dreams is like working with another state of consciousness. Um, and so it's it's all about shifting consciousness. Not everybody is hypnotizable. There's certain people that tend to be more yeah. than others. And those are people that are often more you know, open to those methods. That said, a hypnosis, um, I think I used it a lot when I did shorter term work. Um, I actually used it a lot when I worked in an emergency room and people would come in in states of pain or shock or they were having a mental crisis. And sometimes you had one shot at stabilizing and getting them and being able to get them to calm and deeply relax. So hypnosis has been good for things that are like more time limited okay. and more specific. I have found than you know, helping someone deal with complex patterns of how they relate to themselves, how they relate to others, um, 
you know, a failed marriage, um, a um, challenges with their children, um, long-term depression or anxiety. Those are usually more complex and related to a lot of other factors in their life. Well, uh, dream incubation. Can you give us a little bit of the history of that? Because I'm fascinated by that. It came from Egypt and Mesopotamia, um, and then it spread all over the world. Um, and it has a variety of forms. Um, you know, it can be anywhere from Greece, Rome, Egypt, where they were in temples and halls, to um, even things like with the Native Americans, like caves and hilltops and things like that. And there was a respect for this level of listening to what life, what your psyche might be trying to tell you. You think about when it emerged, it emerged at a time when other treatments didn't really exist either. I think people had a greater respect for listening to their inner life, whereas we get drowned out, like we were talking about, by our phones and by quicker fixes and by things that are more clear than what the hell does this dream mean? I, I don't know. I'm trying to wade through it all. So at that time, you know, there was dream incubation that often was used to help with medical things, but also other things at that time. And so there were rituals, there were practices, there were sometimes people that were more adept dreamers that would then dream for another person. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, they would be like, the person would tell them about their life and what they were struggling with, and that person would um, have a dream for them. I mean, so there was a variety of forms. Crazy. Um, yeah, I was reading like people would go into temples and there would be these dream specialists, I guess, <laughs> and uh, they would tell them, you know, here are the top lines of what I'm going through. And then that specialist would go and dream for them. Is that right? Yeah. And then other times the person themselves, there would be a ritual where they might focus their attention on an issue or a problem, and they'd be in the sacred space to try to bring their attention to that. So they were professional sleepers. I would totally <laughs> have that job, and right? then I would make things up when I wake yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's so fascinating, though. Yeah. yeah, so people wanted some help in that. Again, it's like really focusing your attention to another side of life that you don't may not focus on. All right, Dr. Marlo, are you ready for some uh, rapid fire questions? Sure, sure. All right, here we go. Which emoji do you send the most often? Oh, the red heart. Oh, I was hoping you'd say poop emoji. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, do you dream in color or black and white? Both. Oh, wow. is there? Yeah. Is there different? Like, does something mean one or does one mean the other? There's theories about it. There's generalities about it, you know. Um, so you would look at like level of emotion. Is that sometimes people say that if there's more emotion, then there might be more color. That's may or may not be true. Sometimes the black and white may reflect if you're looking at things in a black and white way, it might reflect another time. There's different associations to each. And so I think, again, like a dream dictionary, if you pin it down to it means this or it's this, um, but it's trying to hold all the different meanings. And then I, I, I will ask the person, why do you think it was black and white? What comes to your mind that it was black and white? What comes to your mind that it was color? So. I also uh, like to ask people sometimes who can speak multiple languages, like, which language do you dream in? And so I could speak Farsi and Spanish, but I mostly dream in English. Yeah. But Orly, do you ever dream in Farsi? No, I always dream in English. And I always 
am colored. Like it's weird to me that people would dream in black and white because that's not right. like how you see the world, right? right? Like your world is in color. When you go back in time and you're like recounting a memory, do you see yourself doing the action? So the memory that you're recounting, or are you inside your own body doing the action? I'm inside my own body doing the action. Interesting. Orly, what about you? I think I'm inside my own body, but and I think that's why when I'm thinking about it, I'm moving. And then my son will be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just thinking about something. He's like, what are you thinking about? Why are you moving? That's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, your go-to lazy dinner. Ooh. Vegan pizza. Vegan cheese pizza. <laughs> are you vegan? I am. Oh, okay. <laughs> pizza of any sort is so delicious. Right. If you could make up a job right now that didn't exist, what would it be? It's, it's probably someone, I mean, and I guess I kind of do this, so maybe I'm not making up a job. Um, I was going to say someone to really help our world be a more conscious and a more loving place. I guess that's yeah, what comes that to is, my mind yeah. is we, we, we need that. We're, we do. We're what I world. would choose is being the professional sleeper that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> I think I that think needs so. to make a comeback. I think so. Orly. All right. We'll, we'll work on that, Orly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll make that happen. What world record do you think you have a shot at beating? I am like double jointed. So like if I ever got in a straight jacket, I could like get out of a straight jacket because I'm ah, that double jointed. Really good to know. That is good. Yeah. <laughs> I can move my hands. I know I always thought I could be on David Letterman's stupid yeah. human tricks or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. And then our final question is, tell us something we don't know. Well, I, I had all three of my babies naturally. Oh, God. And um, <laughs> I, I... Like on purpose? <laughs> I did, on purpose. And it was super cool. And each of them had something magical for my first. I was pushing a long time and she wouldn't come out. And then I suddenly had this insight when I was in labor that we should play the song that we sang to her every night while she was in my womb. And so my husband turned on golden slumbers and put it right down. And then she started to move and then she came out and she was born. So that was that. And then with my son, I went in and he was supposed to, my OBGYN said, I think you're going to go in 24 hours. So I went back, I saw my patients, um, I got home and then all of a sudden it was like, whoa. And I told my husband I was going to go in 24 hours. And he said, today is the 40th anniversary of the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. That was the first recording that went around the world. And we're big Beatles fans. And he said, wouldn't that be cool if the baby was born today? And, and he, I was like, yeah, I guess we'll see, you know. Well, so went into labor uh, and my husband grabbed that CD and he was pretty fast, this one. And um, I wound up giving birth to All You Need Is Love. And he was born on 1159 at 1159. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so funny. What? That's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. You're yeah. like, I'm getting him yeah, out. Getting Go! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. And, and then for my daughter, yeah, my daughter, um, we had this wonderful collection of music and they, they called me the retro mama because they said I was the oldest mom to give birth that week. Um, and my music was like, was like disco and whatever. And we were having fun. I was dancing around and we had fun. And, um, but by the way, also when you said naturally, do you mean like without drugs? 
Yeah. Like, oh my God. Okay. I just oh, want to confirm geez. that. Yeah. Harley's like, let's go back. I'm like, let's just yeah. go back to. Oh, yeah. 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 Wow. Gabriella, did Oof. you hear that? Don't. Yeah. Don't be a coward. Okay. Yeah. You right. Know, like, yeah. No, it's not a contest. I, I'm just weird yeah. like that. You know, it's like. Oh. No, if you, if it's an experience you enjoy, go nuts. That's what I, my mom, my yeah. mom is also very proud of all three of her children, all natural, no epidural, like that. a warrior. And I'm like, yeah. no, nope, give me the drugs. Sorry, no. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do what's right for you. You know, I, I loved being part of it and not missing any of the experience. Yeah. But. It's great to do it with drugs. It's great to do it without drugs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, you are. There you go. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then, Dr. Marlo, where can people find you? Um, you can check out my website at HelenMarlowPhD.com. And uh, you can also check out Notre Dame Dana Muir University on uh, my page there. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Th- thank you for having me. It's, it's a real honor. Thank you so much for listening to Tell Us Something We Don't Know. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at TUSWDK or email us at info at tellussomethingwedontknow.com. Audio and editing by Simon Greffenstedt and theme music provided by Signature Tracks.